Well, let me introduce to you uh, Nancy Ortberg. I'm thrilled that she is here with us. Nancy has been a mentor leader to so many of our pastors around the nation, to our young leaders, as well as nonprofit executives. She is an author, a teaching pastor. She is currently a CEO of a, of a nonprofit organization working to catalyze a, a, a holistic gospel movement in the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, she was just recently, this, this weekend, she was in Austin working alongside the CEO of Intel, that semiconductor company, uh, to, to discuss the integration of how faith and work is very vital to the flourishing of human society. And I'm so glad that she is here with us. Um, she and her husband, John, John Orberg, who was recently with us preaching in our pulpit, I've, I've learned that they met on a blind date. Actually, uh, twice, I believe John followed Nancy in two different seminaries. So I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad that he followed you, he pursued you. We join me in welcoming Nancy Orper with us. Thank you. Um, you can be praying for my voice that it will just hold out for the next 20, 25 minutes. That would be great. Um, yeah, John came back so excited to have been with you all. What you do know, because I think he's coming back, is if you believe about a third of what he says, you've got it about right. <laughs> Just not true. Um, I am so sorry for what this congregation has been through, and I know it'll be a while of journeying together, but this is what the body of Christ does, and John and I pray for you often that this next year will be a time of strengthening for you with Jesus and God opening doors to show you where you go next. I love this. Oh, first of all, let me start this way. I, um, my first and only introduction to Highland Park Presbyterian Church was in the summer of 1976. I was a camp counselor at Pine Cove in Tyler, Texas. My camp name was Puka. And I kept telling him, those are shells from Hawaii. I'm from California. But apparently in Tyler, that was close enough. And they would say often that Highland Park Presbyterian Church sent the biggest bus of high school kids to camp. And that bus roared into camp one day, and there were two girls named Sophie and Sue leaning out the bus screaming, hey, sailors, we're here. And I was like, so that, that was my impression of Highland Park Presbyterian Church. All these years later, I'm delighted to be here. I love the topic of this series, The Heart of the Father, because it is the journey of our entire life with God. Um, I don't care if you had great parents, mediocre parents, or terrible parents. The way that God loves us is so in a different category. I tell God all the time, you need to understand that if that's true, most of us aren't buying it yet. And by the time we end our lives, we may only have absorbed 1% of your love. And we will need the rest of eternity for the other 99%. I think Paul agreed with that. And in Ephesians, he writes these very compelling words that his hope is that together with all of the saints, we will be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love 
surpasses knowledge, goes beyond what we can understand, so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's how he starts that verse. He prays that that we will have power to understand that. This love of God is so utterly unique and different than anything we've experienced, we will need God's power to fully absorb it. So what I want to talk about this morning is one of the ways in which we can see the heart of the Father in an area of our lives we might least expect to find the heart of the Father. There's something about being taken off guard and finding things in a place where we didn't expect to see them that is very memorable and transformational. Where I live in California, we have one of our many beautiful national parks is Yosemite. And one of the main entrances is you drive through the Wawona Tunnel, which is carved out of a mountain. It's dark. You have no idea what to expect. And when you emerge from the tunnel... Everybody pulls over to the left to a place called Inspiration Point. And when you get out, there's not a sign telling you to do this, but everybody is whispering or not talking because the view is so staggering. With El Capitan on the left and Half Dome on the right, the valley below and the waterfalls, it takes your breath away. You never forget it. So I'd like to suggest this morning that one of the places in our lives where we very often miss the heart of the Father is a place where we shouldn't miss it at all. And that is in our work. Whether you get a paycheck, whether you're a volunteer, a mom raising kids or a dad raising kids, whether you're a student, the work that you do, the value that you add to the world was designed by God to be a gift for you to understand the heart of the Father. Which is pretty interesting because most of us just complain about our work. Instead, God's inviting us into this amazing journey. In Genesis chapter 1, what sets the creation narrative in the Bible apart from every other culture that wrote creation narratives in those days is all the other nations wrote about the gods created human beings to serve them. The journey of Israel was so different. Many of you probably had a mom or dad that taught you that everything is in a first impression. You only get one chance to make a first impression. Well, I'll just say this. Had I been God in Genesis 1, my introduction would have been this. Hi, I'm God, I'm omnipotent, and I'm omniscient. I'm really smart, I'm more powerful than you, and that's who I am. It's not what God did at all. In the opening chapter of the Bible, God puts his hand out to humanity and says, Hi, I'm God, I'm a worker. And before you could ever do anything for me, I have been working, separating light and day and then joining it back together, pulling the animals out, creating more of the animals for you to see this garden, come look at what I've created for you. And then he invites us to join him in the co-creation for the goodness of the world. Work happened before the fall. It is not a punishment. It did not happen after the fall. It is a way in which we deeply experience the heart of the Father. 
um, Dorothy Thayer, when, you know, in Genesis, when the repetition of creation was just, it is good, it is good, it is good. Dorothy Thayer said this, the only Christian work is good work well done. And that's what God was doing from the very beginning of Genesis. So we have a chance to understand that the way that God first introduced himself in the Bible, right off the bat, was through the lens of doing work. What does that have to tell us about the heart of the Father? This God was serving us. In Philippians chapter 2, a passage which is known as the Christ hymn, most of our Bibles translate it, even though Jesus was God, he took upon the form of a servant. Jerry Hawthorne, who did a lot of exegesis in Philippians from Wheaton College, says that's a really terrible um, narrative. Actually, what the Greek says is because he was God, he became a servant. You are never more like God when you serve. There is a series on Hulu right now. I won't tell you the name of it because you would be horribly offended that I watched it. But in the second season, for most of the characters, there's this amazing arc of transformation that's happening. I told John, this series has got the gospel all over it, and it is not a Christian series. One character in particular in the second season utterly transforms in the moment he serves somebody. And it is like what was deep buried inside of his DNA is magnetically drawn out because of service. Because he was God, he served. That is our first impression of God in the Bible. And somehow that has gotten lost in our understanding. And I think to reclaim it will really help us on our journey to understand the heart of the Father. I also think that your work, Dallas Willard would say, is your primary place of discipleship. More than anything else you do, because of the nature of work, you will spend more hours there, and it is a chance for you to learn what does it mean to follow Jesus. Now, a lot of times we can think of discipleship in the workplace, meaning I've got to convince my coworker to believe in Jesus. I'll leave a Bible on my desk. I'll teach a Bible study at lunch. That's not what it means to be discipled in the workplace. This is a place where you can see the heart of the Father. Many years ago, I used to be an emergency room nurse, and I had three nights left on my shift before I was going to move to Chicago to finish my seminary degree. I was going to be a pastor. And I had been working double shifts to get ready. I was tired. 11.30 hit. It was time to go home. All nurses know you make no eye contact with a doctor in the emergency room at 11.30 at night, so you're not chosen to be the one that stays late. And we had a 29-year-old woman come in, didn't look terribly sick, and the doctor said, Nancy, would you stay and do her vitals while we do report? Now, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. I've been a Christian long enough to know that you sit on the inside where nobody can see you, not on the outside. And so I said, I'd be glad to do that. 
And inside I was thinking, why me? There's seven other nurses over there. They're not leaving for Chicago in three weeks or three days to go finish seminary. They're not working double shifts. I had such a bad attitude. I walked in there, I took her vital signs, put her in a gown, and felt even more frustrated at that point because I thought, who comes to the emergency room at, at 11.30 at night for the flu? Her husband and two children had left that morning to go up to ski. She was going to join him the next day because her work needed her to stay on Friday. And I thought, you don't come to the ER at night for the flu, especially not when you're 29 years old. So then the doctor says to me, hey, would you draw some lab work on her and wait for the results? Sure. I'd be glad to do that. And then, a few minutes later, the results came up on a fax machine. If you're under 30, Google it. It's a machine that used to spit out paper with typewriting on it. I went over and looked at the paper that was coming out, and I froze. Called the doctor over. She didn't have the flu. She had fulminating leukemia. She never left the hospital. She was there for six weeks. I would go visit her often. I met her husband, her two children. I stayed that night till 2 o'clock in the morning, punched out until her sister could get there. By the time she died, she was utterly unrecognizable. The disease had ravaged her body. And on the drive home that night, I felt like God whispered to me, so you're gonna go be a pastor. Huh. Had an opportunity for you tonight to pastor somebody, irregardless of what her diagnosis ended up being. I needed you to be present for that woman. And you were not. That is discipleship in the workplace. Finding out that I like to think because I'm a Christian I might be just a little bit better than everybody that I work with. Simply not true. I think about that night a lot. And that night was 40, 45 years ago. It impressed me so much that I can see, I can not only see the heart of the Father, I can be the heart of the Father to people that I've been called to serve. And then finally, I think that there's an opportunity with the work we do to understand the heart of the Father by viewing our work, whether it's at Starbucks or at home or in a corporate office, as shaping culture. Whether that's the culture internal to the organization or because of the work we do, how it's helping the world be a better place. In that same emergency room, there was a physician that we worked with. He was a Christian, but he didn't talk about it much. I happened to know that. When you came on for your shift, if his name was on the board, you just knew you were going to have a great night. He had a way of making everybody feel important on that team. In the emergency room, you have a core group of people, but when you're working on somebody, you've got laboratory and x-ray and respiratory in there. You've got people around that, per that person who you don't know. And he would look at their name tags. He would call them by name. If there was time and it was appropriate, he would ask them, what do you think we should do next? Why do you think I gave that drug then? He made us all feel like we were making a difference, not just him.
One of the evenings I was working, about 6.30 at night, 22-year-old woman came in, very sick. It was three hours before we knew would we send her to the morgue or the ICU. Halfway through the code, he stopped and said, we will save her. And all of a sudden, you feel like he's including me in that journey, and he's pulling out the best in me. And I mean, I felt like every one of us was going to fist bump and said, yes, we're with you. We kept working on her. Finally, a bunch of the nurses took her up on the gurney to the ICU. I stayed back because in those days, you had to chart by hand. And our doctor that we loved working with was coaching one of the interns going through the code at a very high level and saying, now why do you think we did this and what would you have done differently here? And then I'm finished charting and the doctor says to the intern, did you notice the guy from housekeeping during the code? And I was finished, but I kept moving my fingers because I thought, I wouldn't leave this room right now if you paid me money because I know what's going to happen. The intern's look was one of annoyance and utter not understanding. The doctor said, listen, housekeeping is a critical part of our team. When we're in the middle of trying to save somebody and we're dropping syringes on the floor and cloths on the floor, they come in and they clean it up so we don't stumble over it. They put things back where they belong so that we can do our work well. No recognition on this guy's face at all. So the doctor says, the guy in here tonight is Carlos. Our housekeeping team is the best team in the hospital. He's the best person in housekeeping. He moved here three years ago from Mexico with his wife Maria and their four kids. He named the kids and the ages. He said, they live about half a mile from here in a little apartment in Santa Ana. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's been to their house, which he had. And then he said to the intern, Looks like we're scheduled to work together next Tuesday night. Here's your assignment. You come ready to tell me something about Carlos that I don't already know. Oh my gosh. Brilliant leadership. Brilliant perspective on how important work is. From the guy in housekeeping to the doctor running the code and everybody in between. When you go to work this week, I can guarantee you there's somebody at work that you don't like. You are that person for somebody else. <laughs> How do you show up transformed inside by the heart of the Father so that you can show the heart of the Father? And you know what? Here, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. I don't think you have to fully understand the heart of the Father to show the behaviors that extend the heart of the Father, which then sometimes work back to build the heart of the Father in you. I think it works both ways. But what would Dallas be like if all of us here that worked, in whatever sphere that is, showed up with these kinds of perspectives about our work? In the Bay Area where I do my work now, um, it is a very post-Christian culture for the majority of the Bay Area. And I really believe the new apologetic for the Christian faith is two things. It's serving the poor and the marginalized. Because whether you believe in God or not, you were created in his image, so you have that DNA in you. 
And when you are invited by somebody who is serving the poor and the marginalized, something resonates in you, and it's faith and work. We spend one hour on Sunday at church, 40-plus hours a week at work. Where do you think the bigger impact might come from? How can you shift just a little your perspective on work not only being a gift from God, but a way in which God reveals his heart to you so that you can serve others? Let's pray. Father, I ask for all of us in this room that later on today we would spend 60 seconds thinking about our work differently maybe letting you know what you already know, the many ways in which we resent it, we resist it, we put up with it, instead of to see it as this glorious gift that teaches us so much about who you are. And may the people in our workplaces tomorrow see such a difference in us because of it. And when they don't, may we apologize and try again and again and again. Thank you for this gift in Jesus' name. Amen.